0: I've been working with this agency three, four years at this point. I was like, you know, you owe me 5000 technically. But I also did another campaign two weeks ago for another 5000 So now we're at 10000 And I have another one due for you next week. So that will bring us up to 15000 Can you give me an estimate of when I should expect to be paid? And I cannot get an answer. So I go to whim. Talent managers will say, hey, just give y'all a heads up. If you have any clients working with this brand, we're having payment issues. So I say, hey, does anyone know if this agency is having a cash flow problem? I'm having some difficulty getting any answers. I do get a response. It's the vice president of creators for the agency. Send me an email. And I'm like, oh, great. Going to get some help. I send this really long, nice email. She did not like that.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing and get real about women in business. Find us wherever you download podcasts, and of course, you can always find us at IamWIM.com. That's IamWIM, double I, dot com. So I just finished recording this week's episode. And it's quite an episode. It's one that I think is incredibly important to share. And we recorded it for over an hour, and I still think there's even more to say. So this is the story of Lisa, of Consciously Lisa, who is both an influencer, marketer, and an influencer. Some of you who are members of WIM have seen a post of hers, and maybe you're familiar with the story because she shared it on her own channel, um, but also initially there was a post in whim, and there was a follow-up about it. There's a lot going on. I wanted to have her on the show for a number of different reasons. Um, I've sort of been like a privy to the story since it first happened back in December of 2022. I think that her story isn't unusual. I feel like it's just never usually sees the light of day. She five months later, chose to make this story go public on her accounts and asked me if she could also share it within WIM. And I said, as long as you follow our rules, absolutely. So she did. And, you know, I know all of the parties involved. So yes, I'm trying to be unbiased. I also think that like as an organization, it's important for us to be unbiased, yet stand up for things that we as an organization and, of course, I as a human being just think or write. So I had Lisa on the show, and I invited the other party, who shall remain nameless, to come on and was met with silence as of the day that I recorded this episode. I would have had her on with Lisa. I would have had her on separately, whatever everyone felt comfortable with. But there are two sides of every story. That being said, haven't heard from her. And uh, Lisa came on. So before we jump into this wild story of ego and mistreatment and harassment and all sorts of things. But I want to remind you of some events that we have going on. Because um, my hope is that by us connecting more and by us just sort of experiencing each other as human beings. And I guess coupled with talking about this in the first place, this won't happen anymore. So we are hosting a couple of in-person events that I am so excited about. They sell out every time. So I encourage you guys to get your ticket ASAP. We have one in LA, June 20th, right before VidCon, which I'm speaking at. And I hope you guys attend both. And then we have our New York City experience on July 27th. Tickets are half price for members, basically just covering costs. And for everyone else, they are $50 each. But you are getting so much for that because we have dinner, we have drinks, we have activities, and we have a panel. So uh, the evening is going to be incredible. We don't call them events. We call them experiences on purpose because they're really memorable. And the amount of relationships that you will gain... From attending these events are invaluable. I never thought I would fancy myself an event planner, but nonetheless, here I am planning events, kind of for a living. It's part of WIM, and um, it's fun. And we've got so many great people who are coming. So I encourage you guys to check it out on our website, iamwim.com/events. That's i a m w i i m dot com/events. And if you haven't checked out the membership yet, you should especially because you get half off the ticket, but also there's a slew of other benefits that you get as well. This episode is really meaningful and I can only imagine that it was really difficult for Lisa to go through this, uh, of course, but like also even just talk about it today. So I don't think she gave herself enough credit and you'll hear from her today. So for the sake of just having you hear directly from her, I hope you guys enjoy this episode all right everyone thank you so much for tuning in today we've got such a treat for you we have lisa who is a creator and influencer marketer. So she's going to share her story um, with you today. You're going to get to know her a lot. And um, welcome, Lisa. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you being with us today. And tell everyone where you are based.
0: I am based outside of Boston, Massachusetts. So I'm in the Northeast. And are yeah. you from there originally, or are you a trans I'm from here originally. You know, when I was 18, I went to college in Connecticut. I went to UConn Stores, and then I graduated and went directly to New York um, and lived there for almost 10 years. Until I got my master's at Sarah Lawrence in Bronxville, and then after I got married, I moved back because I knew I wanted to start a family, and I knew here is where I would have like the most support from my own family. So we moved back and I've been here ever since been about 10 years now that I've been back in Massachusetts. Awesome. And tell us a little bit more about,
1: you know, your professional journey too. I think it's really interesting to me to see someone so accomplished who's having all those accomplishments on both sides. You know, I feel like some people are like, you know, oh, I can't make it as a creator. So I'm going to be an influencer marketer, or I can't make it as an influencer marketer, but I'm a killer creator. You've really been able to like successfully straddle both sides. So how long have you been a creator? And like, tell us about your journey
0: um, professionally. So I became a creator, like right around when I moved back to Massachusetts. So it's been about 10 years. And you know, I just started on YouTube. I started watching like YouTube beauty tutorials. I'm like this anyway, I'm neurodivergent. So when I stumble upon something that is interesting to me, like I go in super hard, it's like it becomes hyper, hyper focused on it. So I became hyper focused on makeup and learning how to do my makeup and all of that. So that was like my existence for several, several years. So It started on YouTube and wanting to be like a YouTube beauty guru. I had so much fun. So it wasn't for me. Like, I wasn't just satisfied. Like, oh, this is new makeup that I like. And I'm going to show it on camera and talk about this makeup. I always had this sort of yearning for every aspect of it. So I immediately started Googling like, okay, well, you know, now I have this YouTube video. How do I market it? What's the next step? So there was Facebook. So Prior to even Facebook like pages, I feel like there was this other thing that came first. And I went so far as to hire some design agency to design like my, I don't know if it was like my page intro cover. I don't even remember what it was, but there was something before like the Facebook pages, even before the groups. It was something. So anyway, I kind of went all in. I really did. I went all in. And then I immediately, again, you're Googling, you're like, oh, how do you market yourself? And it's like, oh, blog. And I'm like, oh, look, I have a, a undergraduate degree in journalism. I have a master of fine arts degree in writing. So a blog, it's like right up my alley. So I started blogging. Everywhere I could, I was like all over the place. And I was so interested. I joined this Facebook group that was called Bloggers Like Me. And it was full of bloggers of, of color. And um, we all sort of connected. So when we were in that group, that group released an ebook on like like basically intro to blogging an ebook, but like several members of the group had like a chapter they were responsible for. So again, I'm all in, right? I'm hyper focused. It became for me like a special interest. Which again, you know, being neurodivergent, that's definitely something that we do. So I went all in and to learn about SEO, search engine optimization. So I wrote the chapter on SEO. Like I'm telling, this is like one year into the journey, by the way. So I'm like, I'm super hyper And this is before even understanding brand deals and monetization or any of that. Like I didn't really understand that. I remember sending an email to... NYX Cosmetic and not knowing the language because I didn't know anything about affiliate marketing or any of that, but just sending an email this today, we would call this a pitch. I didn't even have a platform. I didn't even have followers really, but I was gaining some, you know, momentum. People are interested. And I was like, Hey, I'd love to, you know, talk with you and maybe connect and figure out a way we could work together. You know, some sort of affiliate relationship is what I was after, but I didn't know the language at the time. It didn't work out, but they actually did respond. Whoever, you know, they did respond. And what do they say? I'm so curious. The No. <laughs> I don't even know if it was a definite no. I don't know. It didn't work out. Like a keep in it touch? Develop. It didn't develop into anything, but they were responsive. They weren't like rude or, you know, unkind at all. And, it, and again, I don't think this was a time when they were getting a lot of inquiries like this. This was so new, you know, this industry was still so new. So I've written this, you know, chapter on SEO and this ebook. The book was called From Blank Space to Blogging Brilliance. Now I remember, it, um, which was fun. I started going to blogger conferences. Then I eventually I re- redesign everything, I rebrand under a new name that I feel like, you know, more me and I start monetizing. I get my first brand deal. I think it was like 2015, 2014. I'm like, oh, this is a thing. And then now my hyper focus goes being just figuring out how to make it as an influencer to understanding the other side of things. And so what's the new name? I've rebranded a few times. So don't laugh. Ready? Ready? I might laugh, but I'm laughing with you, hopefully. What's the name? The original name was Dime Piece on a Dime. First of all, Dime Piece, it was an urban name. Like you give to a woman who's a 10. It means like you're a perfect Mm -hmm. 10, right? And I didn't even speak that way. It was a friend of mine who was like, oh, why don't you go by this name? Because at that time it was like, you didn't brand under your own name. Now everyone's like, you know, they use their actual names in a lot of their branding. But back then everyone had sort of a moniker or a pen name. Everybody had one. Jackie Ina was Lil Pumpkin on YouTube. And my friend gave me that name, Dime Piece on a Dime, because my whole concept of my brand was about like looking your best without spending a ton of money. So it was, you know, buying clothes at Target and Forever 21 and, you know, all of these sort of fast fashion, cheap, you know, inexpensive, sorry, stores. Is that the bad one though? Because I feel like that's a good name. You know, I pride myself on being authentically myself. And if I wouldn't even use that word in my everyday language, <laughs> like I just don't talk like that. It wasn't me. It really, it really wasn't me. And also, you know, there comes a point where you get over just shopping exclusively at Forever 21 and wearing exclusively CoverGirl and Revlon. So in addition to the name not fitting, the brand didn't actually fit who I evolved to become. You know what I mean? I rebranded. To, briefly, it was inspired by Lisa. Then it became Lisa a la Mode, And Lisa, Lisa a la Mode fit more because, you know, I'm Haitian. And so, you know, culturally, we will say, because in French, à la mode means fashionable or in style. And it's a word that I actually use with amongst family, friends, whatever, uh, an expression rather. And so it fit. You know, most people in America thought I meant Lisa Apple Pie because that's what à la mode means here. But no, it's actually a play on my culture. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was, I existed under Lisa mode up until mm, 2021, maybe? I remember you as that.
1: I mean, I've known you in that time. so Yeah, yeah.
0: consciously Lisa is a new one. That promise, this is it. This is it, 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 this is it.
1: And so consciously Lisa, so I would love to dig into that a little bit because, you know, you shared with us um, how you consider yourself neurodivergent. And, you know, your blog or, you know, your whole um, persona online and, you know, your, your brand is consciously Lisa. And I'm also very cognizant of the fact that it's like mental health awareness month too. So that's like very top of mind to me a bit. So, you know, I'm curious, like, how is that conversation with your audience? How does that affect your work? Like, could we talk about that
0: a bit for a minute? Sure. So my journey to even understanding and knowing that I was neurodivergent didn't happen until the pandemic where, you know, just everything, our lives all changed, right? We're in the house. We're with our kids 24-7. It's just a different way of being. And so it was during that time. And it's funny because this actually segues into influential marketing as a part of this about the story. So I had been working for this one brand for a few years we're jumping around a little bit. Is it, I don't know if that's okay with you, but because um, I didn't get to the part where how I got into influencer marketing, but anyway, jumping ahead. So we're in 2021 and I'm working for this brand for several years. And this was my first full-time in-house. Like when I say fell in love with this brand, fell in love with this brand. Again, I get super attached to things, get hyper-focused. And so I discovered this brand. So I had been writing for this blog that's actually now defunct but it was a blog called Black Girl Long Hair. And that blog was originally about like hair, you know, and growing your hair long. And then it segued into having more culture pieces and just talking about different things within the Black community. And this is around like 2015. And one of the brands that we featured, this Black-owned brand, because there was a huge thing like the summer, like 2015, 2016, where we just started all focusing on, not all, but there was a big push towards supporting Black-owned cosmetics brands. So we wrote a couple of blog posts. one of the brands that we featured, you know, I fell in love with the packaging, the branding. I thought it was amazing. I went to the makeup show New York and met the owner, connected with the owner. For that blog, we did a couple of sponsored campaigns with that brand. The brand was new that year. So I really got to know the brand story. I met the owner and I just felt like this um, almost like kinship and like really wanting to support this brand. So even as an influencer, I wasn't an, an affiliate for this brand. I don't even think they had an affiliate program set up, really. I was just a big supporter. I had a Facebook makeup group that had like, I don't know, 20,000 women in it. was just a huge group. I had been promoting and supporting this brand and giving the owner advice on how to work with influencers for a while. And then so I went in-house. They launched this new product and they wanted a consultant. So I started in-house as a consultant for four months. And then I became full-time working with this brand as their influencer marketing manager. I mean, I use the term manager loosely because there was no one above me. There was no one below me. So I was essentially the department, the head of the department, the only person in the department, frankly. And so that was where I was for years. And then the Conscious Elisa brand came about towards the end of my time at that position. And and truly, that position just um, really opened my eyes. And I think not only was it the position, you know, that job and sort of showing me some things about myself that I didn't realize was a problem or didn't realize, period. But also timing, because now we're at the pandemic, we're home, we have a little bit more time to just focus on things that maybe we wouldn't have focused on before or even paid attention to before. And so I was really unhappy in that position. It got to the point where I did not see an avenue for growth. Um, I felt stifled. I felt like there was zero opportunity for me to flex my creative muscles in the role and also to really feel confident and successful like I just didn't see how there was going to be any success for me in that position and I'll just be frank the owners of that company really do just pride themselves on just really being in control of every aspect of everything and although they themselves don't have a background in influencer marketing don't know what it is they definitely kept their like finger on the pulse of everything I was doing And it got to the point where it was like, okay, like, do you need me here? Because I can't be a robot. And aside from all of that, like I genuinely care about creators and wanting to see them do well. Like I genuinely wanted to make decisions that were in not only their best interest, but also in the best interest of the company. And there were just some things from an ethical standpoint that I just wasn't comfortable with at all. I'll give you an example. I had an experience where these influencers in the UK. And so when we sent them product, they received customs fees and they paid the fees and it, it didn't come to anything crazy in terms of money. Maybe it was like 50 bucks, but they invoiced us. They're like, okay, we got a customs bill when you, know, you sent these products to us. So they invoiced us. I didn't know why this was always happening, but it was always happening with this company. And I have worked with brands from overseas that have set me products that have never gotten uh, an invoice bill, but okay, <laughs> so these people got customs bills. So I wrote back to, my, to my, the owner of the company. I was like, hey, these two influencers, they received a, a customs fee, um, $50 is the total. Can we just go ahead and pay it? And the owner refused, said I didn't tell them to pay it. And I'm like, but we hired these influencers. This is the kind of crazy stuff I dealt with. We hired these influencers for a campaign, right? We wanted to work with them. We sent them the product. In order for them to do the campaign, they needed to pay the customs fee to be able to receive the products and do the job that we hired them to do. And now there's this bill of like 50 bucks and you're refusing to pay it. Isn't that crazy? Like, I feel like in those sort of instances, like such a small... Exactly, but knowing that, right? But who's on the front line? The CEO and founder is, you know, behind the scenes. She's not the person engaging with these influencers, her company's reputation would be harmed, but I would also be involved because I'm in charge of PR and influencer marketing. So I'm just thinking like, this is gonna be a problem. These influencers are gonna take to social media and it's gonna be a problem. This is a brand that's had a lot of bad press in the years already. And ultimately it was, it was just one of the ways in which the founder would do things like that to be harmful to me because who does it hurt ultimately? there's still going to be millionaires at the end of the day. The owner of this company is still going to be a millionaire, still going to ride the wave. But it makes my life difficult. It makes my experience hard because now I have to have these uncomfortable conversations with the influencer. So when the influencer sent the PayPal invoice, I paid it out of my own pocket. So these are the experiences I was dealing with. And I would routinely ask myself, why am I staying here? You know, here I am, this person who I am an intelligent person. I have experience. I'm a full adult. I could get another job, um, but I stayed. Despite the abuse, frankly, I suffered at the hands of this position. And so it's towards the end, and I started um, really considering, I got to get out of here. I got to get something else going on. So I did it, but I finally just ended up quitting the job. I couldn't take it. And it was getting to the point where because of the level of micromanagement, because of the instances of unnecessary stress, like just electing to not pay a $50 invoice just because you don't want to, even though it's gonna create stress and problems for me. It was coming to the point where I had so much anxiety that I had trouble sending an email out. I couldn't even answer if an influencer emailed me and said, hey, I'm out of product. I'm out of this uh, foundation. I'd like a new foundation, you know, which is nothing. I used to do this all the time. My first year at this company, I would send them, you know, no problem and even have to ask. Slowly but surely, it just became this thing where I was like, I'm obviously being punished for reasons I don't know. I can't take it anymore. It's affecting my nerves, my anxiety and my ability to function. And that's when I really started to see the ways in which, uh, and I'll be honest about, you know, ADHD was showing up in my life. And I would have such a hard time getting things done because I'd be like this, like scared, you know, nervousness, anxiety, but also like it just was really showing up. So I went, I got evaluated, I got tested. I found out, you know, I have a couple of things going on in addition to ADHD, Uh, My husband was diagnosed also autism. My oldest son was diagnosed autistic. I have also taken a couple of online self-assessments for autism that have all come back as showing that I am on the spectrum, although I haven't gone and gotten a formal test, which I plan to do that as soon as I possibly can. Um, So there's a probability that I'm on the autism spectrum. I also have a mental health disorder. So all of this stuff came to a head and came to be a part of my life. It affected my parenting. It affected everything. So I went on a healing journey. I've been on a healing journey. I switched into gentle or conscious parenting as it is known. And that's where the whole, I'm sorry, this took so long for me to get this out, but that's where the whole consciously Lisa brand change came from. All of those
1: experiences. please don't apologize. I mean, first and foremost, I think it's like, It's really incredible for you to share this. I know you've had to have said this before. I know this is your life that you're living. So maybe it doesn't feel like such a big deal, but I think it's important to like pause for a second and just give you credit because I don't know, I was listening to a podcast the other day. The guest was Howie Mandel of all people. His older guy is the comedian and he's a big mental health advocate. And the host of the podcast, Nick Bial, was asking like, what was something that sort of like really has helped you in your mental health journey? Like you you talk about it a lot. And so, you know, in that, if you could articulate one thing that's really, really changed it for you in your life, what is that? And he said, just talking about it he told this story is really interesting how he years and years and years ago was on the Howard Stern show. And he actually thought in a conversation probably similar to this, but he thought that at the moment that he was talking to Howard, in one part of the interview, that the microphones were off, like he thought they had ended the conversation, and they actually (laughs) hadn't. And so like, I don't know, like, I'd sort of want to dig into that about like, how did that air? Like, was that a little unethical to do? I don't know. But in this current interview, he actually gave that moment credit because prior to that moment, he wasn't public about his personal struggles with mental health and things that he was going through um, and that sort of forced him into it. But he hadn't looked back like he hasn't looked back since so. Well, I don't think that's the right way to do it at all whatsoever. It's a long-winded way, my long-winded way (laughs) as well, of saying that like, I just think it's important to give you credit for being so open about it because I know that at least one person, likely way more than one person listening to this or watching this right now, like either is experiencing one of these things themselves, I was diagnosed as ADHD, or like know someone who is, and just simply talking about it, like the simple, you know, just talking about it makes such a huge difference. And so I'm just appreciative of you being so like willing to talk about it. And so could we get into a little more specifically, though? So this is, you know, a pretty wild story about how you worked in this role and just the way that the environment that you were in and the working environment and stuff like that, like, and obviously, I mean, like, I feel like what you're describing would have triggered like somebody without any of these disorders, nonetheless, someone who has it. I'm curious, like looking back on it, Would you have done anything differently, like
0: having the
1: perspective that you do now?
0: Well, um, I definitely wouldn't have walked away without demanding some sort of severance or compensation if I had to go the route legally. There's nothing stopping me, honestly, because I do, you know, I have talked to an attorney. (laughs) I do have a case, honestly, if I wanted to, but if I had to do it again, that would be number one, is that I wouldn't have stayed as long as I did, one. And two, if I were to walk away, I wouldn't have walked away without some sort of package um, because I walked away with PTSD. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like the day that I left, and I'll just be completely transparent, the the thought that came to mind, because I I happened to be on the phone call with the founder and she's calling, it's like eight o'clock at night, I get this random phone call and she's wanting a status update. Like that's essentially what she wanted. But instead of, you know, just saying, hey, can you give me an update on such and such? And obviously, a normal person would ask you this at like nine o'clock the next morning or maybe would have sent an email. But no. So I'm getting this phone call. I think it's even text. It's text. And it's a barrage of text messages that are just saying, essentially, you don't do anything. You're terrible at your job. Like, I'm repeatedly told. But then here's the thing. know, people diagnose people with this personality disorder all the time. So I'm not going to diagnose anybody because I don't know. But what from what I have looked up as, you know, for a narcissistic personality disorder, this person definitely has some of the characteristics of that disorder. So but now that I know what that is and what it looks like, I think I could have handled that situation a lot better than I did. And I wouldn't have taken it personally because in a real situation, when an employer has somebody who's performing poorly and is doing poorly, they fire them. <laughs> they don't keep them around for two and a half years telling them they suck every day. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying, but I, I don't know. That's a very optimistic
1: lens to look at things from. Call me like really pessimistic because I can also like share a slew of reasons why somebody could do the opposite. So I hear you, but Wait, it's a very optimistic but, but, view.
0: Because obviously I have all of the context. And I can definitively say that I didn't suck at my job when like nobody could do the job that I did and the way that I did it. And it hasn't since I left that role two years ago. So I can pretty confidently say that I didn't suck. This was just their MO. This is what they did with everybody at every position. People are routinely fired and rehired by this person every other month. It's just what they do. It's just what they do. And knowing that now and kind of seeing it on the outside, I can see that that would is. I mean, I'm glad that I left because really leaving, really, really like pushed me into my healing journey. That led me to, I had the time now. I hadn't taken a vacation in two and a half years. Not a sick day, not a personal day, not a birthday, okay? You work seven days a week. I remember when my grandmother died, my grandmother died, it was November, 2020. I didn't get any bereavement leave. I had to pay one of my coworkers to cover for me all emails and all that. Because if I had said, Hey, I need a couple of days off. Um, it would have been met with, you know, just attitude and negativity. And I would have been docked to my pay for three days. You don't work, you don't get paid. That's the culture. So I'm telling you. That this was not a normal work environment. It's not what anyone would normally experience, at least I, I, not from what I understand.
1: Like, have you kept in touch with like coworkers, like colleagues who are there? Cause like,
0: I know that I've been Most in. Most people are gone, but yeah, there is one that I was friends with before I, I got the job who I maintained a friendship with after.
1: And do you guys have this like shared experience? Like, do you look back and reflect and talk
0: on it? Or is it like, honestly, you know, you don't even want to look back on it. Is it helpful to reflect on or not? When I was like right out of there, I couldn't really, I could barely speak. I was a shell. Like I was a shell. I immediately had to go on um, antidepressants. My anxiety was so, so, so bad. Yeah, I couldn't talk about it. But I can't talk about it openly now because I can confidently say, which is something I probably couldn't say, you know, before is I can confidently say that it was not me. <laughs> it was not me. And um, that's not something that I could have done even two years ago, even though I intellectually knew it. I didn't feel it inside because you always wonder. I come from a background of being a people pleaser and wanting to do well and always, you know, following the rules. And you don't quit a job. You don't you know, talk back to your boss, whatever they say goes. And so that was the vibe that I brought to that to that job. But now through the work that I've done in therapy and the healing, I've given myself permission to be like, you know, have boundaries, even at work.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Just popping in to remind you to check out Women in Influencer Marketing, the membership community. So if you're enjoying this podcast, this is just a sliver of all that we are. So we have a mentorship program. We have casting opportunities. We have 24-7 community forums. We have events in real life, virtual masterclasses, and so much more. Those women who join our membership have had amazing things to say. We've been around since 2017. And if you're not a part of it, you are absolutely missing out. So I encourage you to check out our website, IamWim.com, and learn all about us, I-A-M-W-I-I-M.com. If you go to the events page also, you'll see that we have a regular event. Get the most out of your membership. It's for new members, but it's also for those of you who might be curious, like, what is Wim? Do I have a place there? How do I fit in? Come join I'm there live, so are lots of other people, and it's a cool opportunity for me to teach you all about what we have to offer. Also, giving you this freebie, we actually give away a month free when you attend. So if you're interested in not only learning about WIM, but also experiencing a whole month free, definitely check it out. You can go to our website again. It's IamWIM.com. That's dot mcom Sign up for our next event, and I look forward to seeing you. Hopefully, around the Wim community. Absolutely. I mean, especially at work. You know, not even at work. I feel like especially at work. Like we spend we spend most of our time working. We spend more time working than like with our families, like taking care of ourselves. A, a number of different things that are incredibly important. so, like especially at work. So this like leads me to. It was definitely a few months ago at this point. Like when you and I spoke, I. You know, got a message from you. We hopped on a call. I think this was like maybe back in like December, I think of last year, which it seems like it was not long ago, but it's a good five plus months ago. And, you know, you reached out and shared something that happened in a whim. You know, we spoke about it then. And like this is months ago. And like, you know, similar, I guess, to your story now. It's like, you know, it's going to feel different then than I'm sure that it feels now. But the reason I'm bringing something up that happened five months ago um, is because just about days ago, you posted about it um, on social. You posted, you asked if you could post it in whim, Um And I said, so long as it follows the rules that everybody follows, absolutely, of course. sure. Um, and so I'd love for you to share that story in a little bit more detail. I think it started out, where you were having an issue with payment Mm -hmm. for the creator side of your business. Mm -hmm. You asked the WIM community and um, got a reply. So if I can cue that up and sort of let you sort of fill in the additional details, I'd love for you to share your story.
0: Sure. So I have done, been doing a bunch of campaigns for this one particular brand through an agency, an influencer marketing agency that, you know, we all know, <laughs> and um, been working with them since like 2018. Pretty regularly, I do. You know, four, five, six, seven, eight campaigns with them a year. Like it's a lot, and so I have always liked working with them because they're super hands off. They don't bother you. They leave you alone. They tell you here's your dates, and you have like this window of time to post your post. You don't have to get approval. It's very easy peasy. And I've always gotten paid within like two weeks of a campaign. But this time it's different because at this point, I'm not working uh, any other job aside from this. I decided to focus almost exclusively on my healing journey and also with homeschooling my kids. At that point in December, my only source of income, you know, obviously my husband works, but we live in the Northeast and we need a, a two income family. Like you can't live here on one income unless that one income is making half a million dollars a year. And that definitely is not the case for us. So, you know, I needed my money, hell. Um, And so I do these campaigns and the first one, uh, it had been like 30 days, right? So I'll just be transparent with how much money it is. So I've been hired for three campaigns, two in November, one in December. So I had completed the two in November. One was like early November and one was like end of November. So by the time I'm emailing my campaign rep, because this is again, this is on the influencer side of the business. I'm emailing my campaign rep. It's been about 30 days um, since I wrapped the first campaign and about two weeks since I wrapped the second campaign. So technically they're not light per se, but I'm kind of anxious because I'm like, oh shoot. You know, Christmas is in a couple of weeks, Typically, I'm used to getting my money within two weeks. I haven't gotten it yet. I've got a couple of other friends in the industry who've told me they've had some issues with getting their payments um, quickly now through this agency. So I'm getting a little nervous. Also, you have to bear in mind that I've been around for a while, right? I've been around since the Mode Media days. And if anyone in this space knows, Mode Media was an influencer marketing agency that was essentially like the precursor to this agency. They ran all the beauty campaigns in the space for the most part. And it's where a lot of us as influencers not only got our money through brand deals, but we also worked with them through ads. Like They, they actually had an ad network, so they would run ads like Google or, or Mediavine on people's websites. So I worked with Mode through both of those avenues. They ran ads on my site, and I also got sponsored campaigns from them. And so when they went bankrupt without telling anybody, we all lost money. None of us got, you know, we were all out a few thousand dollars, or at least I was. And there was no real warning. The only warning was several months before Mode shut down, they were getting late with payments and they were, you know, giving us the runaround. So ever since that happened, I've always been sort of like really aware of when a brand is late or not paying or whatever, because I'm always like, I don't want to be left out. You know, (laughs) I don't want to be burned again. And so when I'm emailing the campaign rep for this campaign, I was like, you know, it's been 30 days since, you know you owe me 5000 technically but i also did another campaign two weeks ago for another 5000 so now we're at 10000 and i have another one due for you next week so that will bring us up to 15000 can you give me an estimate of when i should expect to be paid what is the date that you say that i should be paid this is a question i'm asking and i cannot get an answer what they keep citing for me is what's in the contract which essentially says that you get paid when we get paid. So either you get paid within 20 days of your campaign wrapping or 60 days from when we get paid. But when that is, there's no solid date. So I'm seeing this is what's written. I'm seeing that this is what's in the contract. And I get that, but now I'm a human being speaking to you, another human being, and I'm asking you, what is the date you anticipate payment? Because I can't believe for a second that an agency of this caliber with a brand that is this big, not knowing when they're going to get paid. It just doesn't even make sense to me. And at this point, again, I've been working with this agency three, four years at this point, and I'm trying to add a little humanity to it. I'm like, okay, look, it's me. It's Lisa. I know you maybe don't know me personally, campaign manager, because the campaign managers get replaced every other day. So this person probably doesn't know me personally, but they can see my history, my account, and how long I've been working with them, I'm like, all right, this is my story. I'm not working. Christmas is coming, and I have two children. I need a date. Can you help me out with a date? Can't give me a date. Okay, can't give me a date. We're past 30 days now. Can you at least give me partial payment? By next week, you're going to owe me $15,000. Today, you owe me ten. I think I asked for $2,500 of the money owed. Like, I'm at this point, I'm like begging, okay? It's, it's humiliating, frankly. I get a response, but it's more of a runaround. So now I'm I'm triggered and I'm nervous. So I go to Wim. I say, Hey Wim. You know how in Wim we, we do this in the group. Talent managers will say, Hey, just give y'all a heads up. If you have any clients working with this brand, we're having payment issues. You know, like it's not a thing that's not done in the space. Um so I say, hey, does anyone know if this agency is having a cash flow problem? I'm having some difficulty getting any answers. And I want to see if anyone else is hearing anything. Because I'm like, listen, again, I'm nervous. I've been through this before with Mode Media. I do get a response. Uh, it's the vice president of creators for the agency. Okay. They're in the group, which is great. Because I'm like, current right, perfect. And they're like, hey, send me an email. This is the response on the post. Send me an email um and i'm like oh great gonna get some help gonna hopefully this person's going to help me out so i sent an email the email again is essentially me thanking them for taking the time for receiving my email and how much I enjoy working with them and how I hope by even sending this email, I'm not getting anybody in trouble because I even take up for the campaign manager. I'm like, she's responsive. She's not saying anything wrong. Cause I can imagine the position she's in. She's doing what she's told. When the influencers ask about their money, copy and paste the contract. I don't blame her whatsoever. I think she could have escalated it to the next person once she saw that I was, you know, going back and forth and it really wasn't getting anywhere, but whatever. And so I emailed this person and the, the VP of creators who posted in Win. I sent this really long, you know, really nice email. I think I maybe sent it to you, Jesse. I'm not sure, but I did send it to a couple of people like, Hey, look at this email. Am I crazy? And I'm in the email I'm essentially begging. I'm like, look, it's Christmas time. I have two kids. I would really, really appreciate if you could give me 2000 of the money that's owed. I don't really care when you're going to pay me the rest. I trust that you'll pay me. Just give me this small amount, right? Right. She did not like that. She didn't like you
1: asking for the money, a fraction of the money that you're owed.
0: She did not like that I had the unmitigated goal to even say the words, does Such and such agency have a cash flow problem because when I send the email, she writes back, not even like, thanks. So, you know, just was like, thanks. I'm going to see what I can do to help you out. She copies a random from finance on the email, who I never hear from, by the way. This finance person never gets back to me, never acknowledges this email. For all I know, this finance person isn't even a real person. It's somebody they throw on these emails to make it look like they're doing something when they're not doing something. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't bother to go on LinkedIn to see if this finance person actually exists. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't know who they are. Never heard from them. So the finance person is copied on the email and it says, hey, I wish you had reached out to me before posting in whim, because by posting in whim, you have gone against creator terms and conditions. And so immediately, you know, this person's not here to help you. This person is to give an F about your kids, about Christmas, about the money that's owed, about the position that I've been placed in to the point where I've got to demean myself by begging in this way. They don't care about that. It's a reputation of this agency that they feel that I've somehow maligned by posting by simply asking the question. And so then she asked me to get on a call. In hindsight, I would have refused to get on the call because Why do you need me on a call? What is it that you have to say? You've already made it clear in an email that helping me is not what you're going to do and that you've copied on finance. So what is the extra we need on the call? But I'm trying to be optimistic, even though my body and my nerves are telling me not to be optimistic. I'm trying to be optimistic. So I get on the call. I don't know how else to say it. So I'm going to be as candid as I can. My experience with this person was sociopathic is the word. It's where you feel like the person you're talking to has... Zero empathy, has zero insight into your position whatsoever, and is completely focused on flexing their authority, and you're never going to work in this town again, which has been my experience. After this call, I've never heard from this agency, never worked with them again. I was routinely getting deals and campaigns with them. Haven't heard a peep, don't work with them whatsoever. She made it clear again on the call that by asking about when I might be paid or if the company has a cash flow problem, she was insulted that I asked that because she even scoffed. At one point, she's like, does such and such agency have a cash flow problem? I'm really, no, literally. That impersonation actually happened on this call. All she was concerned about was the reputation of the agency. And frankly, if you don't have a cash flow problem, why would you be insulted? If you have the money, why wouldn't you just make sure that I got paid whatever? Well, here's the thing is as influencer marketers, influencers can definitely get on your nerves, right? My company that I used to work, people used to go on Twitter, complain about payments and complain about them. Nobody ever loved what even felt like bad press. And so, uh, you know, it's not like I don't understand her position, but you can't have so much ego that you show your hand. If I had been her and I had felt annoyed by me, I would have got on the call. I would have figured out a way to get me paid just to get rid of me. And then if I wanted to never work with you again, never work with you again. I wouldn't have made it clear to you. I wouldn't have spoken the words to you, influencer, that I'm never going to work. I mean, the terms and conditions comment repeatedly. She told me that someone had screenshotted the books. I mean, I was on this call being scolded like a child. She pulled me on the call to scold me and to shame me with my own desperation to have a Christmas for my own kids. It wasn't at all about helping me. Even saying the words like, oh, it was screenshot and someone sent it to me. Like, what the fuck am I? I'm not a kid. I don't work at this company full time. Like (laughs) screenshot, like you're in trouble. Like I posted in in a paid membership group for industry professionals. I wanted you to see it. Nobody had to screenshot shit. You know what I mean? So I'm cursing now.
1: No, please. And also, I do want to just also chime in for a brief second on that specifically, because you and I have talked about that before. And screenshotting anything in our private Facebook group actually goes against our rules (laughs) and our, you know, terms. So, you know, I don't know who did that. um, And it's not the first time that it's happened. um, And there's only so much that we can do. But, you know, for somebody to sort of rest their argument on, that someone screenshotted it and sent them it to them, that actually isn't allowed in our group. So I also just want to chime in and say that. So
0: it's a weird thing. Like she really wanted me to know at a point where I'm low, at a point where I'm like begging for my money because I don't have any, you're making it clear that I'm not going to get any more because I have, the, I have the nerve to ask for it. You know, I've been through some stuff, you know, I've been through some hell at the last job that I had and the job before that, you know, I've been through some stuff, but this experience is sticking with me almost like it happened yesterday because I literally got off of that call. I was a wreck. I felt so bad. She made me feel so, so, so badly. Because to be so confronted with somebody who lacks that much empathy, compassion, humanity. And even though I shouldn't be surprised by it, because again, I've been through a lot and I've been treated like shit a lot by different people. Not to say that I'm a victim by any stretch of the imagination. I take ownership for not always doing the right thing all the time and perhaps, you know, not always being, you know, perfect myself. So I'm not a victim, but I have felt victimized by people. And there have been people who've made it their business to want to make me feel victimized. And that's how I think that this person handled it. And I think this person handles it this way because I'm not a big creator. I don't have, uh, you know, a big name and and cloud and attorneys. So it can fly under the radar. Who's going to know? Who's going to give a shit? You know what I mean? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But it's important for me to just keep talking about it. And I, And I don't anticipate that I'm going to stop talking about it any opportunity I can to talk about it. Because it's wrong. It's wrong to treat people that way. And influencers, creators, people in any business should never feel like they are breaking the rules or being demeaned when they're asking for the money that they work. And I do think that with agencies, and again, I'm gonna just be 100 about it. I do think that with certain agencies, there is this practice of robbing Peter to pay Paul. And so- Maybe there isn't a cash flow problem directly, but I do think that maybe money gets tied up in one area and that's why there's this delay in these weights or what have you. I don't think for one second that this agency does not know exactly when they're going to be paid by the brand that hires them so that they can't give definitive dates. There's a reason why they can't give definitive dates. And it's not because that company has this you know, weird way of paying them. I just don't think they would take on the liability of hiring thousands of creators to work for an agency or a company and not know when they're going to get paid. It just doesn't even sound honest to me. So I don't know what that person's deal was and why they wanted to treat me so poorly. I've essentially been blacklisted, but it is okay because I've been a creator for 10 years. I've worked with a lot of brands over the years, a lot, and the experience with this person and also my experience at other agencies and influencer marketer, my experience as an influencer has really brought me to the place where I'm not sure how much of the space I'm gonna like be in and how I'm gonna, you know, be here. Unless a job falls in my lap and it's like perfect, I don't see myself putting myself back out there to pick up any more influencer marketing work because I just traumatized for lack of a better word is where I'm right. Hopefully
1: so. I mean, I sort of wanted to let you be able to have space to like share your own story. Um, Everything that you're saying now is what you were saying back then. So I feel like, you know, time sort of like can modify our memories and what have you. But like, this is exactly what happened to you back then. Yes. It's very much like ingrained in your mind. I'm curious, like, how, so you decided to share this in a really public way, first on your own platform in a carousel post where there was like receipts, there were your thoughts. So I actually kind of appreciate that you took a good five months to process it and then made a very conscious decision mm-hmm. to share it in this specific way, which we'll link in the show notes so people can see in your own words, the, you know, the post and the carousel and the receipts, et cetera. But I'm curious, like, What led up to that decision to share it in such a public way? And then
0: I'm so curious, what has been the response to it? So because I was still at that point interviewing and submitting my resume and so forth for influencer marketing roles. Um, And so I was concerned, you know, how it would impact my ability to get another job if I were to talk about this experience. But now I'm at the point in my life where I just don't want to live in fear anymore or is scared. And I can understand if a brand or an agency would be like, I'm not going to touch her because this seems like this person's messy. Um, I can understand if they felt that way and chose not to, to move forward with me. But that would be OK, because I, I would suspect that any agency that wouldn't want or company that wouldn't want to move forward with me would probably be one that's doing some shady shit. And uh, yeah, so it's okay. And so in finally coming to terms with the fact that I'm just going to be myself, speak and share what I want to share, however I want to share it, not naming names. I originally, I did name names, but then I was like, you know what, I'm not. In deciding that I I wasn't really going to be so gung-ho about landing other roles in influencer marketing is what made me finally feel comfortable. I'm like, okay, let's just post it. Because I also don't do a ton of influencer Like as an influencer, I actually don't do a lot of brand deals. I turn a lot of them down, not because I don't need the money, but because I've been in this space 10 years and pushing products all day, every day is just not fun to me. Um, I also don't love the way the algorithm affects reach on sponsored campaigns. And as somebody who likes to do well, I don't feel comfortable taking money when the post doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And I know no other influencer feels that way. And they're like, if they're going to pay you, your work is your worth, your value is your value. I don't know. Maybe this is the influencer marketing side of me who feels like, you know, no, you know, there should be some return on investment if someone's paying you thousands and thousands of dollars. And from an ethics standpoint, don't love the, the pressure of post not performing um and so i'm like semi-retired i guess that's the answer to your question jesse's like i'm semi-retired from the space so i feel more comfortable
1: i mean transparently like that kind of makes me sad and your story isn't the first one at all whatsoever that i've heard where like you are the victim of like a ridiculous circumstance and situation and that you're the one you know, again, you're not the only one,
0: but like you, the figuratively you. Of course I'm going to lose. This person that did this to me is loaded, lives a very wealthy, privileged life. I'm an unprivileged Black woman mom in the Northeast. I'm going to lose. That's just hard for the course. I expect it. I don't expect better. This has been my experience, my life. I don't know, like call me an optimist or just
1: like, stubborn or whatever it is I just like I can't help but think that there's a better way like it's certainly not going to be easy it's not going to happen overnight keep hearing stories of people like similar to yourself who very specifically in the influencer marketing world have gone through some crazy shit myself included by the way and like if you want to continue there uh, uh, you should be cautious about, you know, what you put out there or, you know, how you impact, you know, the people who seem to have the control or the privilege and things like that. And I just can't help but think, and maybe this is like delusional of me, that if enough of the people who have been victims of this, like just speak up and like get together, that like you don't have to run away and do something else because that's what I keep seeing. I've literally heard multiple people tell me, I'm retiring. They've literally used that word. Like I'm retiring from end marketing. I don't want to work in it anymore. I don't want to deal with this garbage. That's not the type of industry that I want to
0: be a part of. You know what I mean? And I think the problem is, is there's so much ego. Like me, I just want to do the job. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to come in and do a good job and like really do impactful, like amazing campaigns, get the best of the best creators on the campaigns, work with them guide them, mentor them. Like, that's what I want to do is just make it happen. But there's always all this other shit that gets in the way. And baby, I do not have it in me anymore to keep up the good fight. I really don't. I've been beat up, beat up. And I hear that. And like, ultimately, the first thing you need to do is take care of yourself.
1: So yeah. like, that's the absolute first thing that needs to to be done. Um, I just wonder, you know, I don't know. I feel like there are like these cool clubs. You know, where like the, you know, people have just been doing it for a while and they like feed each other's egos and they are just giving each other all the power and they keep it very insular. And the second that you fall out of favor or you challenge the status quo, you're out, right? I'm inspired by a lot of people who, for one reason or another, different reasons, have just like gone out on their own. And they're like, I don't want to play by anybody else's rules anymore. I just want to do my own thing. And that has insane amounts of challenges as well for someone who maybe doesn't know how to like register their business or, you know, how does insurance work, all that stuff, right? So that has like prohibitive challenges for a ton of people as well. But I almost wonder if like, perhaps that's maybe one solution, you know, just do your own thing, like create the rules yourself. But I like, I understand that has an innate challenges. So like, Looking forward, you know, what's on the docket for you? Like, what do you hope to be
0: doing in the next, like, year or two that will fill you up that, yeah. I wish I could answer that question fully, honestly. My focus has been on my family and my kids, and I'm homeschooling them now. If you've ever experienced neurodivergent burnout, I think that is a big part of where I am in my life. And so I'm taking everything one day at a time, and just focusing on the things that I can control and peace and being happy and not getting stressed out when it's just like life is too short. So I don't have any like huge career aspirations for the next year. And I really don't know. Like influencer marketing has been what I've been doing for 10 years. So I wouldn't even know what I could possibly go into. I certainly can't take on any entry-level role anywhere (laughs) because I sure don't, you can't be trying to pay me $30,000 a year. So I really don't know. I got to figure something out, Jesse. I really do. Going out on my own and doing it as a consultant, I did do some of that. That has its own set of challenges as well, especially since the people that seem to be looking to hire me are always people who are, you know, they're small businesses. They don't really have the budget for influencer marketing. And I do not love trying to get influencers to be affiliate partner. That ain't fun. If, so like, what about doubling down on yourself
1: as a creator and maybe like infusing some of this into the conversation? I don't know. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Well, I mean, I'm still, I still create for sure. I'm definitely creating. I'm, still, I'm launching a course, a conscious parenting course. I hired a consultant to help me with that. Like eight months ago. So we're still working on it. I'm working on a conscious parenting course. I wrote in my first ebook and published that. Um, I'm monetizing my web. I'm building that side of my business up to look like I don't know what. To me, it's like slow and steady wins the race. I'm not in a rush. I'm really not. You know, we'd all want money. We all want nice things. We all want everything that comes with that. I listen, not having money is, is a problem too. I am not to the point where. If I saw a role, right, that hit everything that I needed to hit, then I would be completely like, no, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. The problem for me now is I'm burnt out and I'm so sort of like shaken up by all of these experiences that it's hard for me to even interview from a space of like, feeling like that I could give another company my all the way that I've done it before. Because when I tell you I go in, I go in and I give it my all. There's no sleep. I don't see my kids. When I was working for these companies, I I had a full-time nanny in the house with me so I could really work and go in. And the salaries I was making wasn't even supporting that, frankly. But I just, I was so committed and so loyal and wanting to do such a good job. And so... I don't know if I have that. And I know you're saying like, just do it for yourself. How, what that looks like, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to talk about that offline in some way. (laughs) I think like you have to just do what's right for you. Like I personally,
1: like I just see you as having so much to give and to offer. I'm like, I don't want to see you give it to somebody else. Like I want to see you reap the benefits of all this ridiculously hard work and passion that you have in you. Like, and I certainly like don't want to see you just not do anything because of like these insane actions of someone else but like all of that being said I know that like I can be idealistic a lot of times and what you're saying is super valid and what you're doing it's best for you Uh, the is, you need to like slow down and like figure it out for yourself and like be gentle with yourself and like you have a family as well you don't have one kid like me half the time you have two kids right so like there's a lot at play. And it's not as simple as I'm probably making it out to be. Just know that like, I respect the hell out of how you handled the situation, because I see absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever with what you did. And in fact, I think you handled it really wisely. I think that I respect the hell out of that you took A good five months. You didn't just like, you're like, oh, hell no, I'm going to make this public and just spew it out there. No, you took five months to process this and think, what do I want to do with this information, if at anything at all? And I think like I've read that initial carousel that you posted on your account multiple times, and I'm like, you're so reasonable. You're so factual. Like you just laid it out, like how you had the conversation in real time, sounded perfectly logical to me. I don't know if I would have done it as well as you, but I would have tried to, like I would have taken the same approach that you did. All that you were saying earlier about mode media, I lived through that as well. No one had any notice that Mode Media, which was a huge, huge company in the space years ago, was going to be bankrupt. It was a shock to people. So everything that you're saying about that information and taking that into consideration with what you're experiencing now, red flags going off, like everything in you with your red flags made logical sense to me and how you did it made sense as well. So I just want to give you full credit. I also like I want to challenge people who are watching or listening to just take inspiration from you, honestly, because I think that we all need to be more respectful of each other. It annoys the shit out of me when people's egos get in the way. Because I mean, the worst case scenario is that it's actually hurtful to someone. And maybe the most like, you know, PC outcome of that is just that the work suffers. You know, you're talking about like, I just want to do the work. Like, I just want to do the work. I want to do great work. And if people's egos get in the way, it it harms that as well. I would just challenge people like, is it really fucking worth it to like have your ego get in the way that much? Like your life is now being driven by your ego. And I just challenge people to be self-reflective and just simply ask themselves the question. But I know that there are people within WIM, within your community as well, who are inspired by your story and who are appreciative that you have the balls to share this because you could have easily been silenced and felt like you should just move on and not talk about it and and not say a thing about it. So I'm just very appreciative that you did share your story with us. And for anyone who is watching or who is listening and who wants to, you know, share maybe their experiences with you, or just like get in touch in some way. Should they connect on LinkedIn, Instagram? Like what's the best way for them yeah, to Yeah, All
0: of those places, fine. You can shoot me an email, Lisa at consciouslylisa.com. Look me up on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm all over social media, so and I'm pretty accessible. LinkedIn, especially. Actually, so I prefer okay, LinkedIn amazing. all of this. <laughs> okay, so we're going to link all of that in the show
1: notes. And again, I just appreciate you because I feel like I would like to see more women in this space talk about things that they've experienced because I know you're not the only one who's experienced it with this person, with this company, or in general.
0: Yeah, they're so huge and they're so powerful. And uh, it's unfortunate that we do leave, live in a culture and a society where the big guy sometimes wins. I shared it the way I wanted to share it. I, I know how to share it where it would probably go viral. I know how to do that because... I would have had to name names very publicly. We've seen how influencers go viral when they call out brands, but they call them out over, sometimes over things that are not like huge deals. I feel like there are times where we need to be careful about the things that we're calling out. I don't know if you saw, but just last week with the influencer trip and that whole thing, maybe we could talk about that offline if you have it. So we see the thing, but I you know, really like to be cerebral about things and really talk about in a way that gets people to think as opposed to having an emotional response. And that's why I do process things. Again, I have, as we talked, I've mentioned a few times as being neurodivergent, I do process things slower than than the average person maybe. And so it does take me, although I felt what I felt then in the moment, I couldn't, it was just all too much. And so I do need, like I do give myself a lot of time before I touch things. And so I'm glad I did that too. So I really appreciate your support, Jesse. You took my call the night it happened, I believe, when I was like hysterically crying. And so I really appreciate your support and backing me and giving me this opportunity to talk about it. I'm not looking to get anyone fired. I'm not looking to make any agency like lose business. I just think it's important for us to be like, hey, this is not cool. And I'm not even looking for an apology. I think we need to talk about this type of stuff because it matters. And it's not cool to treat people like this. I appreciate that that's sort of your your like
1: final words because it's like, let's all be a little bit more human and just Perfect. like treat each other.
0: Like just human remember, beings. just remember, like I'm somebody's mother. I was just trying to get some, some coins for my child for Christmas, my children. And that's it. And it doesn't have to be this big ego stuff. It's just, there's no room for it. There's no need for it. There isn't any need for it.
1: Well, I really appreciate you coming on today. I know that others definitely have appreciated hearing your story and like having you be brave enough to be able to share it. Um, I want everyone to follow you um, and reach out and connect. And for all of you guys tuning in, we will see you next week.